if you think you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. Ed Gross and me, Mark A. Altman, have a new oral history coming out this July from St. Martin's Press. It's Secrets of the Force, the complete, uncensored, unauthorized oral history of the Star Wars saga. So wherever you buy books, audio and video, pick it up today, pre-order, and you can learn the secrets of the Force. And don't miss our oral history of Star Trek in stores now. And of course, nobody does it better. The complete oral history of James Bond in digital, hardcover, paperback, and audio. That is all. Hey, Darren, I'm watching the best show on television. You want to know what it is? What is it? I think I know, but what is it? Inglorious Trexperts. <laughs> and you're thinking to yourself, that's wait a second, that's not say. a TV show. It's but not it a, is. But it is. It, it is. is. It's a TV show because you can watch us on the Electric Now app. It's an app for streaming video podcasts as well as movies, television, and more. You can see us on demand on Electric Now. I demand it. I demand because I demand it. <laughs> Commodore Stone can watch us on the Electric Now app. And how do you get the Electric Now app? Because apparently people are having trouble understanding the concept. Just go to your app store from whatever device you're using or all of the devices you're using. And you download it to your phone, your iPad, your Roku, your whatever, whatever you, whatever you, whatever you have that streams, other than a Viewmaster. You download it, and and then you watch it, hundred percent free. There's no charge. Yeah. There's no Patreon. There's no Electronic Frontier. All there is is a free app. So download the Electric Now app from your favorite app store and watch us on Electric Now. If you're a fan of Inglorious Trexperts, you're gonna love. Trexpert's Briefing Room, a Trexpert's new series. Trexpert's Briefing Room? What is that? I was about to explain, then you interrupted oh, me. I'm it sorry. Is, it's curated audio commentaries of classic Star Trek episodes from the original series all the way through Enterprise. You're going to love it as we explore the behind-the-scenes making of all these wonderful Star Trek episodes with cast and crew that you would never expect to hear doing audio commentaries on Star Trek. Sounds like fun. It will be. And you can find it on the Inglorious Trexperts podcast feed and on the new Trexperts Briefing podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's go see what's out there. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And we have we have a great show today. A great show. Don't you think, Darren? When you know what we? it is. Though I'm not when don't, we? When don't we? Hey, that's my my line. You you're you're not <laughs> supposed to be the narcissist. Um you're 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 the nice guy. I wasn't including myself. One. Oh, okay. So, so there you go. So, you know, you're the one if like somebody was in the bar and like they wanted to go up and, and talk about Star Trek and how much they like the show, you would be the person to approach. Like me, not so much, but you would be like a nice guy. You'd be really friendly and, and nice. And Laddie, uh, don't you think you should rephrase that? Anyway, okay. <laughs> so today um, we're doing the Star Trek shows, the Star Trek shows that we'd like to see. You've got to believe me. 
Look, a truly advanced planet wouldn't use force. They wouldn't come here in strange alien forms. The best of all possible methods would be to take human beings to their world, train them for generations until they're needed here. Mr. Seven, I want to believe you. I, I do. I mean, I know this world needs help. That's why some of my generation are kind of crazy and rebels, you know? We wonder if we're going to be alive when we're 30. Two minutes to impact. Hold it right there, Mr. Seven. Oh, no. Spock, you're the expert. Can you detonate the warhead from this computer? I can try, Captain. Altitude 550 miles. Captain, I want that warhead detonated, too. Unless I do it, at least 100 miles above ground, just barely in time, frighten them out of this arms race. Captain, monitors show all major powers on full missile alert. Retaliatory strike ordered on warhead Altitude, impact. Altitude, 450 miles. Spock, I can estimate some of this, Captain, but without more time. Captain, he can only guess. Will you please let me do my job? This is a sort of an idea um, of like, you know, what we'll, we'll talk about. It. First, I want to introduce our guests. I want to tell you who's here here with us today. We're very excited. Um, re you're returning to the show after a uh, brief hiatus. Uh, he's been very busy working on a secret project. Um, it's the... Um, uh, the writing producer for the show is the Star Trek Voyager, Star Trek Enterprise. He was the co-creator of Perception um, and a uh, good friend of the show, Michael Sussman. Hey, guys. Welcome back. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> and uh, rejoining, uh, rejoining the expedition. It's not Taylor. It's uh, Mr. Ashley Edward Miller. Ashley, welcome back. Thank you for having me. It's good yeah. to be back. Well, you know, it, it's funny. We, you know, we're always in our constant search for 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 interesting episode topics after our exhaustive look at the 101 greatest sci-fi episodes ever last month um we we wanted to to look at like the star trek shows we want to see and you know obviously it's no secret the cbs all access um has uh has really extended the IP in terms of uh, uh, doing multiple shows. A lot of them are based on existing parts of the Star Trek universe uh, or attempting to capitalize on established canon. Um, so we thought it'd be fun to look at it, particularly because Gene Roddenberry, at the time that Star Trek was on the air originally, had intended to spin off, or at least he said in retrospect, right. had intended to spin off Star Trek had it been more successful. Uh, he had told Roger C. Carmel famously, you know, I'm planning to do a Harry Mudd series with you. So, uh, which would have been very, actually, is that how he said it, Darren? He probably said it a little differently. I don't think he sounded like some new Jew from New York. He said no, it he... like an Episcopalian <laughs> from Texas. He probably sounded exactly like you just said it, Mark. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so that's what he told, uh, what he told Roger C. Carmel. Uh, and then, <laughs> then I, I uh, this, 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 you know, again, this may be apocryphal. There was talk of wanting to spin off that dynamic character that you all love, Dr. Mbenga, into a Starfleet medical show, uh, which would wow. deal with Starfleet medical uh, and and sort of uh, medicine in the future. And Mbenga would have been part of that. I would have loved to have seen that one. That would have would been you? super cool. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. then, of course, because, look, he's 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 not he's not a dynamic character, but he certainly could be the pivot that other characters rotate around during the show. Okay, well, maybe it would have been good. I mean, look, we got three writers on the show. Two are very talented, Michael and Ashley. And I'm sure that they probably could um, uh, come up with a great series around Mbenga and Starfleet Medical. Then maybe there is, there's gold in them there, Hills. You know what? You know what? 
if if uh, if Doctor Mbenga is a forensic um, doctor, right? If right. like if like he's a he, he's like the medical examiner, like Quincy. it's a little bit like Quincy, yeah. right? And it's like every episode, <laughs> like you know, somebody's <laughs> murdered. <laughs> exactly. I think that it could be awesome. You know. Uh, <laughs> It's like, you, at least then I know where the stories are coming from. <laughs> you guys have probably seen Robot Chicken. Did you, did you ever see that spinoff idea they had, Dr. Ball? No. You know what I'm talking about. It, the, it was basically the black ball with the needle that was going to, uh, that Darth Vader was using to interrogate uh, uh, Princess Leia. And, and yeah, so it was it was like Dr. Ball, Space Doctor or something like That's that, hilarious. showing him and all his... It was, it was well, like I have a feeling that, you know, Disney Plus in about three years will probably have, have Dr. Ball. Doctor probably. Ball. If because you like you know, the Mandalorian, run. just wait until <laughs> you, you see our ball. ball. It's if you think funny. Baby Yoda is cute and adorable, you haven't seen Doctor Ball. Ball deliver Baby Yoda in a flashback. <laughs> oh my God! Well, you know, and obviously, I see the head. Sorry, I. Just, well, no, I mean, you know, it's interesting how the Disney Plus platform, which used, I mean, literally their film library and the success of the Mandalorian TV series, basically turned Disney Plus in one year into the number two streaming platform next to Netflix right. and a huge sensation on the back of one show. And now, of course, it's no secret to anybody. I mean, they have, what is it, 10 Star Wars shows in development? Something uh, like that. Ranging from Boba Fett to Obi-Wan to, to really crazy things like Amethyst, which is about the High Republic, which I don't even know what that is. Um, well, that's and- the Republic at 420. I thought it was like a Cheech and Chong. I don't know. That's what I just and, said. That's what I mean. And 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 uh, and then um, you know you have uh, you're gonna do an anime thing like the Animatrix and 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 uh, what was some of the other one? I mean, it's like crazy stuff. I mean, yeah. Well, there's there, uh, there, Rogue Rogue Squadron and there's right. uh, uh, well, that's a feature Gon- I think. Rogue yeah, Squadron. Yeah, it's a feature. Yeah. There's Gonk Droid. You know the stories yeah, of the Gonk Droid. Everyone's favorite Gonk so. Droid. I mean, it's crazy. So, so of course, you know, Star Trek is is sort of at the fulcrum of of, of a very similar situation in that uh, the CBS All Access platform has done okay for CBS, but uh, you know, given the fact that every studio now needs to have a major streaming platform and and the stock price is so much tied into that, you know, they're expanding CBS All Access to be uh, Paramount All Access, and you know, uh, no, clearly Paramount Plus. Oh, Paramount Plus. We will not me, have Paramount. all access. Right. It, it'll be Paramount Plus. It'll be <laughs> but Paramount we will Plus. have Plus. Yes. It'll be Paramount Plus. So not only are we looking at, you know, certainly more Star Trek shows or star- shows that have the name Star Trek in them, but yes. um, but uh, we're looking at, you know, other IP in the Paramount library that is likely to get um, go through the filter. And of course, you know, I hear they're even developing a show for Universal uh, based on MRS called Cats. Dun-dun-dun. Okay, so um, what we want to talk about, oh, and then we didn't get to the third, the third show, of course, that Gene Roddenberry most famously right. wanted to spin off of Star Trek. At the Trek. end of the second uh, At season. At the end of the second season was? Assignment Earth. With uh, G- Gary, uh, Gary Seven, Robert Lansing playing Gary Seven. So those are three shows that Gene was talking about back in the day. So here we are, the year is 2021, NASA has launched the last of its deep space probes and um, and and we're talking, you know, Star Trek spinoffs. Uh, so I want to ask you guys, 
you know, what are the Star Trek spinoffs that you'd like to see, you know, or, you know, that you think would be viable? You know, everyone here works in television, has a lot of experience in television. Um, What do you think, Mike? Well, I, I have a pitch. Um, I mean, if you guys are prepared to, to hear it, um, it's going to sound a little, uh, you know, it's, it's already been mentioned in a way, but. As long um, as it's better than when we pitched Gene Ronberry the Star Trek fourth season, um, we're all ears. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, the issue that uh, all of this series, I think, kind of grapple with is the era that it's uh, set in. You know, is it a sequel? Is it a prequel? uh you know how hemmed in by canon is it going to be um this is an idea that i think liberates trek from all of that so this is a pitch for a show that takes one of the most intriguing yet uh overused plot devices from star trek which is time travel Mm -hmm. and this series would incorporate time travel into the premise of the show itself so the series i'm imagining is part doctor who part uh, Loki, that new Marvel series, part Mandalorian. Well, not Loki and Beale. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, that's, that's, that's my second pitch for a Star Trek <laughs> um, Okay. But like Mandalorian, this is a Star Trek show that, that uh, could explore the, you know, the forgotten corners of the Star Trek universe, minor characters or species or planets uh, from anywhere in the Star Trek canon, as well as brand new uh, places. Uh, it could also explore alternate universes, dark universe from yesterday's Enterprise, the Kelvin universe, uh, that reality from uh, parallels where the Borg assimilated the Federation. Uh, but most intriguing of all, th- to me, it's inspired by a-, a classic Star Trek episode that has already been mentioned, uh, developed 50 years ago by uh, you know Gene Roddenberry himself, Assignment Earth. Uh, as you guys all know, our, our listeners probably do as well, you know, the Enterprise goes back in time to 1968 for historical research. Using the light speed breakaway factor. The light speed breakaway factor. Basically, they go back in, the order, to meet, in order to meet Gary Seven. Right. For like, for no good reason whatsoever. And, uh, you know, Assignment Earth was like never my favorite second season episode it's not the greatest episode but i think it really contains the seeds of a fantastic series one that's probably a little different from what roddenberry was actually pitching at the time um so as you guys know gary seven is essentially uh you know a secret agent who was beamed to earth in 1968 by uh, mysterious aliens and his mission is to help humanity survive the late 60s a very a very turbulent uh, era unlike our era today um, now, Gary Seven tells Kirk in the episode that he's a human being who was raised by aliens. Uh, but, and something to me is very intriguing that they don't really touch on a whole lot in the episode is that Gary Seven knows about the future. He sees uh, Spock with Kirk and he says, Humans with a Vulcan, you're from the future, Captain. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, this transporter beam that sends Gary Seven to Earth that the Enterprise intercepts. Uh, according to by Spock or Scotty, it, it sends him like a thousand years across space. Right. And Scotty even says at one point that the transporter beam might have even sent him through time. Now, the episode itself doesn't really explore time travel any further. And it seems that the series that Roddenberry was setting up was going to be like set in the late 60s and, and you know, which was then the contemporary uh, setting. So, you know, by no means do I have any of this all really worked out. But... Um, 
you Don't know, worry, you would be the first person to write Star Trek that doesn't have it all worked out. <laughs> yeah, totally. Or any of it worked out. I never had it worked out before. Um, but, you know, I, I was imagining, like, what if the Gary Seven that Kirk meets in Assignment Earth is, say, a very, an, an older version of the character who, say, is hundreds of years old? The series that I'm pitching to you could be about a, a younger, another version of that character. We could find out they're actually multiple sevens existing at various points in time and space. And this young seven I'm imagining could be kind of an outlaw in a way. Maybe he's rebelled against, uh, you know, these aliens who, who raised him and trained him. I think in one of the early scripts, they were called Omegans. I can't remember if that was in Something the actual like that, episode. Yeah. Um, but ultimately he, he comes to not be, you know, very certain of the motives of these, uh, of these Omegans. And whether the missions they've sent him on to Earth and to other planets are actually, uh, you know, on the up and up. Maybe they just want to help themselves. Um, so uh, I thought perhaps the hero of this show, the Gary Seven of this show, might run off with one of those little blue-green cubes uh, that we see in his office in the Simon Earth. And what we find out is that this, you know, and this was basically hinted at in the episode, this little device contains as much power and technology as uh, a starship and it can you know it's got a transporter it can beam seven almost anywhere in the galaxy maybe send him to other eras right. uh possibly it can create like environments holographic environments it could be the standing sets of the show he could have like this bridge like control room where he sees all the timelines laid out before him uh you know crew quarters things like that um and I thought, you know, I mean, if, if you're going to embrace the whole idea of seven, Gary seven, maybe there are seven of them mm. and, uh, you know, different ages. Uh, and that if he's a renegade from from these Omegans, there are other versions of himself who are pursuing him. Right. Uh, maybe some of them are like, you know, and if they're all perhaps cloned from some uh, from original human being, some of them might be gender flipped. Some of them might be, you know neutral or robots who the hell knows but um it just seemed like a very fun uh premise that you could then set in all sorts of different areas much like you know uh doctor who you could you could visit the distant past you could visit the far future you could visit you know the 21st 23rd 29th uh centuries and and now particularly with you know the new cbs shows you know going even a thousand years in the future there's i think there's there's this whole era uh, to explore. And you could also tie it into the temporal cold war, which was something that uh, enterprise kind of touched on. Mm -hmm. And I think the new series are, are, are set after that. Um, in fact, there was a character in enterprise when I was writing for the show who, uh, was kind of a, a temporal agent. And I had pitched at the time to Brandon that look, why don't maybe we make this guy Gary seven, or he's part of that same organization. Uh, that idea ended up not, not happening. It just it wasn't really relevant to the story we were telling, but, um, that, so this is something that's been kind of kicking around in my head for like the last 15 years, ever since I worked on enterprise, like mm -hmm. it, it just seemed like uh, a, a great premise, a great jumping off point for a Star Trek series. So I, that's it. That's all I got. I Go love that. I love that idea because it takes, it takes elements from two of uh, Desilu's, uh, most popular shows. It is half Star Trek and it's half mission impossible. And, and a you know, quarter, I love Lucy. <laughs> That's, well, during that explosive chocolate episode, um, it's, right. uh, you know, it's so much fun to imagine, um, you know, basically it can take place anywhere 
you know, because out of his uh, out of his apartment, he has, you know, the gateway to everywhere in the universe, basically. And uh, and as Gene Roddenberry is uh, is, you know, famous for saying the universe is uh, filled with wonderful stories and uh, we'd we'd like to see at least, uh, you know, 26 of them this season. Uh, (laughs) But um, look, it's it's uh, I've always, you know, unlike you, I've always loved Simon Earth. And I've always sort of imagined what else there would be in store for Gary Seven and Miss Lincoln. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, th- there's also the, uh, the question of what is the cat? You know, is the cat one of his supervisors? Is it right. one of the Omegans? What, you know, th- that, you know, that brings a whole new, uh, you know, Sabrina, the teenage witch uh, aspect to it. Yeah. Um, and how inappropriate was his relationship with that cat? Exactly. Because- Exactly. We don't know. But, you know, on all access, we'd find out, I guarantee. <laughs> and wasn't she someone fairly well known who played the cat? W- wasn't that like it, it, was like it the, wasn't that that was a 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 a falsity that had existed for many years. And only recently in the past couple of years had had they found out who it actually was and it wasn't who everyone thought it was. Oh, but everybody what didn't they think it was Victoria Ventry yeah, who from it was uh, not. Rosemary's Baby yeah. and and yeah, okay. It um, was not. I have to say Michael you you put way more uh uh thought into this than I I thought we were going to because of course I was you know my idea was just like oh yeah, you know, you could do Fantasy Island on the Shorely planet. That was about the extent of my 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 work to prepare for the show. Um, but uh, I have I'm to say, I'm not on the show that often, man. I got. <laughs> I have to say, uh, I think that's a great idea. I I love okay. it. I I I think it would be a great show. And I I think the key is to escape what we've seen before. If there's one lesson, I think that the Star Trek shows today could benefit, whether you love them or don't, it's to stop being trapped by the past and start exploring the future because there'll be no new stories to tell if you keep cannibalizing the past. And as much as we love original Star Trek and, 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 and love next gen and deep space mind is talk about bringing Cisco back and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's like, you know, you can't go home again, make us fall in love with the next thing rather than say, this is Spock's brother or sister or whatever. It's like, let's see new ideas now. So this would take this idea that had been established in Star Trek, but not be slavish to anything we'd seen before as a jumping off point for something entirely new, mm-hmm. which I think could be super fun. And um, it's a really it's a really dynamite uh, premise for for a show. Although, uh, you know, I just want to note that Art Wallace was also Art Wallace, uh, Gene's yes. collaborator on that uh, yeah. uh, as, as well. Yes, I, yes, I think of it's course. Great. Art Wallace. Yes, of course. Good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've got three things to say about it. The first is I want everybody to know, and and you couldn't see this if you're just listening to the podcast, but I hope um, if you are watching this on the Electric Surge Network, you can see that occasionally I'm like looking at my phone um, or I'm just giving you resting pitch face the whole time because I I really just want to convey to everyone what it's like to actually be in a pitch and um oh but you you forgot to take a phone call though during the pitch you know what you're right i should have taken a phone call like hold on guys sorry i just got it yeah what no no tell them to go themselves okay yeah cool um the second thing is i realized that we are incredibly impolite uh we all should have offered you a bottle of water before you started (laughs) 
And because uh, you know what? At least like you get a nice parting gift if nobody buys your pitch, right? Yeah, that's the pitching problem with is, Zoom pitches. Pitching is yeah, thirsty business. A, right? It's like, I feel like I should bring my own plastic bottle of water to a Zoom pitch. And the third thing I want to say is, well told. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 well told. You're so welcome. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Assignment Earth. I think it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's always been like the one that's just sort of out there that I always wondered why, like it just, it never, it never came back. It, it, it never popped up somehow. And it's just, and I, I've always been fascinated by that. So I, I applaud you for all the thought that you put into. Uh, into yeah, it's, into it's funny. You say you don't love show. that episode. And I, I would say it's, it's, you know, Michael, uh, Michael saying he doesn't love the episode that it, yes, the, 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 the Deus Ex Machina for getting that arm there is ridiculous yeah. but it's what you know that we call in the trade a planted pilot a backdoor pilot so you know it's when you do a pilot instead of actually doing a separate pilot you do it as part of an existing series so they did as part of an existing series and they had to have it take place in the 60s so they came up with this we wanted to see how mankind survived its nuclear age and you know that that whole and thing look, is, is and and the re and the reason that Picard was on Deep Space Nine and the premiere of that was kind of goofy too. So yeah, sure, sure, sure. No, no, look, <laughs> sure. no question. But once you get into the actual story, yeah. you know what has to happen, and and the character of Gary Seven and him befriending Roberta Lincoln. I've always liked that. I, I like any of the episodes where they go back to the sixties. I, I liked all the yeah. all the episodes. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I think wait, wait, were it were it me, I would have gone a. a a different way. Although I, I, I applaud like how you went and really kind of turning the time travel into a strength. Like, I, I think there would be something sort of so cool and out there about like, you just say, screw it, man. Assignment Earth takes place during the 60s and it's groovy, baby. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you and do, it's you just could do like, a whole season of the show where he's just, you know, that it's that year, you know, yeah, and, and, exactly. And, it's like Mork and Mindy, but different. It's like, you right. know, at the end of every episode, he's sending a report home to Orson, you but know, you, like, you know, and, and Mike, that's a great point because, you know, that's probably how it would end up, because if you're going to build, you're going to have to have standing sets. So you can't be, yeah. you know, he has his time ship and then you're going to end up doing all these bottle shows on the freaking ship that if you did it by season season, you know, the mission is the 60s, then your standing right. sets can be the 60s. And then the next year it's you know the future and then the here's so at the least pitch can... it's doctor who meets mad men huh you know what <laughs> that would make doctor who so much more interesting yes. to me <laughs> doctor who kind of did that uh with john pertwee's doctor if i remember in the early 70s they, that's they true so they were broke and so the tardis broke down for like one or two seasons yeah. and so he was just stuck there in london uh, and the aliens came to him uh, which is awesome. <laughs> well, the but yeah, you could do you. that too. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, there's just yeah, and Doctor Who, by the way, is you know, uh, it just got the greatest premise of, of like any science fiction show ever. Absolutely. Um, and An infinitely uh, replaceable lead actor. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And 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 a great theme song, which is a prerequisite for any great science fiction series. Totally. But not totally. necessarily a guarantee. So so my question yep. for you, Ashley, is. You know, look, I would assume you would jump at the chance to do a, a, a Captain Jellico series. But, you know, at this point, Ronnie Cox is probably, uh, you know, too old for that. Do you recast? Mm -hmm. Can you recast? Who would you I, recast with? I, I think I think you'd have to. Um, uh, I mean, actually, I'll tell you who I think would kill it uh, as as Captain Jellico. And a, and a Captain Jellico spinoff, you know, where he's got... Um, 
you know, Commander Shelby as his uh, as his first officer and Ensign Rowe is running around. It's like the crankiest ship in Starfleet. Uh, <laughs> but like, but it's also like the most efficient, well-run, like badass shit. Like all the space battles last like 30 seconds because they just show up prepared and there's no like, I wonder if we should raise our shields. No, the shields are up and they're firing fucking phasers and torpedoes <laughs> and everybody's dead and it's over. And then they just sort of talk about it afterwards and they kind of get cranky. But I think you have to recast it um, unfortunately, the guy I think would be great as Captain Jellico is already in the, the, the Star Trek universe in the current shows, like playing a completely different character is Anson Mount. Mm. Um, I think that guy is great yeah. on, on Discovery as, as Pike. It's the one thing that kind of gets me excited about Strange New Worlds. I happen to know um, that he is a fantastic actor and a badass and a, and a gentleman. Um, and I, I think that he could really pull off that Ronnie Cox attitude. Um, that's just off the, off the top of my head, but I don't know, man, like, you know, who you would get to play Commander Shelby, you know, or Roe um, or, or anybody else who can kind of stand up to that. Uh, mm. But I, I think that would be like, I, I think a Captain Jellicoe show would be amazing. And then, and then it begs the question, you know, do you really want to, um, recast iconic characters rather than no. create new characters you know whether it be I think it depends on when you're or... telling the story mm -hmm. right at what age they're at yeah like like if it were the thing that's like on, would be on the top of my my wish list and you would have to completely recast it which blows uh and makes it not as exciting but it's you know it's sort of the, the fantasy spinoff would have been um you know a show that for whatever you know, reason you could just call a simple tailor uh, about Elam Garrick in the Obsidian Order. Yeah. And it's so you basically model it on Patriot. It's on Amazon Prime, you know, as, and it's about his very complicated, weird relationship with an Auburn Tain. And it's just like one very simple mission that he's on for an entire season as you kind of you know, get into the oddity, like, of, of this man's psyche, of how, like, you know, all of the sort of the Obsidian Order training messes with your head, like, what it is to, you know, take on an identity and, and be a liar, you know, to everyone that you know at all times. Like, it's always interesting on Deep Space Nine when you, was, when you would see that from the outside. But I think seeing it from the inside could be incredibly powerful. It's like, yeah, you can do all like the political stories and that's great. Look, I'm the biggest fan of Deep Space Nine in the world. Um, I, and I think all that stuff is awesome. I think, you know, in the abstract politics about like fictional crap is kind of boring. Um, and it really only becomes exciting when it matters to the characters. It's, it's the character stories that convince you that that other shit is interesting. And, you know, that was the thing that was always special about Garrick from Go is that here is a guy who is by definition not what he appears to be. He was on a mission you can't quite understand, who presents a moral point of view that is so like 180 at odds with what Star Trek says that it's about, that in a way it fits perfectly with that philosophy and acts almost as a, as a contrast enhancer uh, for what Roddenberry wanted Star Trek to be. Right, it's like everything out of the man's mouth. So I, just, I think a show like that could be great and much better than a show about Section 31. Yes, you could encounter Section 31, fine, but who the 
is the character at the center of section 31 that you care about? That like, that's, that's, in, I mean, actually, yes, Sloan, there could be a great show about Sloan, right? Um, but, but I just think I have a, I have a soft spot in my heart for Garrick. That's look, it. I think, again, another fantastic idea. And if we look at TV these days, the new 22 for a while was 13 and the new 13 became 10 and then the new 10 became eight. And now on streaming, it could even be six. And I think that, you know, this would fit very nice into that six or eight model because at the end of the day, it's people in rubber masks and mm -hmm. they're brilliant <laughs> actors, but I think it's a really tough thing to sell a show, oh. which is going to be 90% of the time, everyone in rubber masks because well, if you're here's, on the, here's the pitch that gets you around it. So the, the way around it is he is basically he is planted inside the Federation like he's on a well, he's on a station or he's on a he's mm -hmm. he is like on a ship, you know, he's on Earth and he has taken on the identity of a human. Right. So you're seeing him kind of without the mask, but like but the way that the masks kind of work into all of this, this yeah. cool. sort of feels like the other Star Trek shows, although but you're right. It, is it? Andy Robinson, you know, who now I hate to say who I think is obviously a tour de force in that role is brilliant. He's, he's a little older. No, he couldn't uh, play know, that you, role. You'd have, you know, and, and does that character work if you recast it? I don't know who like the young Andy Robinson is. Um, it, that's, that's really the problem. It's like, you'd need to find someone who, who just has like that, that very and who's the young Paul Dooley in quality. Oh my God, man. It's like, that's, that's the thing. It's like, who are not just like, who are the faces? The machine doesn't make good character actors anymore. No, because the machine doesn't really care about them that's anymore. Correct. They're probably out there, but they're not given a chance yeah. um, to emerge. Yeah. That's yeah. sad. Well, there's a, there's a sad subject there's, there you go. upon in this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. What do you think, Mike? What do you think of uh, the, the young Garrick series? Uh, I, well, I think that could be great. Um, I, I love Garrick. He was, you know, for me, probably, uh, you know, my favorite character on Deep Space Nine. Um, uh, what was the episode? Um, I think Ron Moore did where, um, oh gosh, the, the one where they blew up the Romulan ship. Oh, and the Pale Moonlight. Oh, Pale Moonlight, right, of course. Yeah. Uh, named after the, the line from uh, the Batman movie. Right. Um, <laughs> Strange choice. Yeah, he's, dy go. he's dynamite in that. And, and the way he, you know, the way he plays off against uh, Cisco and shows you, shows the audience, shows Cisco, you know, the things sometimes you have to do in war in order to- You, you have know, to I mean, dance to with that, the devil. That, yeah, the, <laughs> you have to dance, yeah, in the Pale Moonlight, of course. Um uh, I, I loved how that character, I mean, I would want to do, not that that's a, by any means a series, but the idea of a, of a, of a character, uh, you know, Garrick, you know, there's something very Section 31 about Garrick, you know, he was the guy who did what was necessary. Uh, he, well, he was part, what was it, the Obsidian Order? Was that the, was that mm -hmm. the Secret Service? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, these shows were on so long ago. Um, so, you know, pairing him with a more straight up, not necessarily a Starfleet character, but it could be a Starfleet character um, who, uh, you know, might not be, uh, you know, as interested in going to those dark places and doing what was necessary. That could be interesting, whether that's, you know, part of the show or not. I don't, I don't know, but um, I was, I love the dynamic that he brought to Deep Space Nine. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned how you pitched uh, during the early days of Enterprise, uh, uh, Gary Seven. You know, I'm surprised that it's not something that uh, uh, Manny Cota wanted to do the fourth season, given that, you know, he was mm -hmm. such an original 
Star Trek fan. Um, I, 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 I wonder if there's a spinoff that my, Manny would want to do because of he's professed of being such a huge fan incomprehensibly. He admits incomprehensibly of this character, which, of course, is Colonel Green. <laughs> Colonel Green. The great, the great Colonel yeah. Green. Yeah. Well, Colonel Green showed up in, uh, I think, was it a flashback or like a little video that somebody was yeah, watching? In, we were, in, yeah. Um, in uh, in the the penultimate episode of Enterprise, he shows up yeah. in uh, Terra Terra Prime or Terra Firma Terra Prime. Or Terra, or Terra. Terra Prime. Yeah, yeah. Which is it's it's great that Colonel Green is in there because yeah. it's so nuts. Well, he was if I remember uh, at the beginning of season four, he wanted to do an entire arc about Colonel Green and his idea was, and I, I don't think this was in this wasn't even really hinted at in the Savage Curtain, but his Colonel Green was going to be uh, basically a genetic experimenter. Uh, who I, I think he was going to tie into the eugenics wars and con. And then ultimately when Rick Berman said, Hey, we got Brent Spiner and he, you know, we'll do a couple episodes for us. That character became another in a series of uh, songs, right. mm-hmm. uh, which uh, worked out uh, nicely for us. And, but unfortunately Colonel Green did get relegated to, uh, but I mean, that's an interesting uh, time in Star Trek's history, which you could also visit in the Gary Seven series, I think. Absolutely. Uh, the, uh, you know, World War III and, and what that's all about. Um, you know, Deep Space Nine, of course, did that great um, two-parter where they went back, I think basically to this year. Uh, didn't they? Was it, was, or was it yeah. the early 2020s or maybe it was oh, futures, sure. futures, futures end, futures, future, not futures, past end. the um, futures. Uh, 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 the one, the one where they go to the bell riots. Uh, yeah. Uh, pork belly futures. Oh, no, no. Oh, you're talking yeah. about D Space Nine, not Voyager. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, which was oh, the one with the homeless no, problem, and yeah, yeah, they had the internet, if I remember. The pandemic. <laughs> yeah, the, um, no, but I mean, it was very, uh, it, it, you know, it, it past tense. It, past tense. No. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Um, you know, sadly, things haven't changed a whole heck of a lot uh, here in Los Angeles since uh, you know that episode was written, but. Um, yeah, that was you, you. I would love to see more about that era in Earth's history. I always, always found it very intriguing that Roddenberry, you know, all of his different, you know, all the different Star Trek series suggested that there was this really dark period sometime after the 20th century before, uh, you know, space flight, before the Federation, that mankind really went through a lot of really awful crap. I mean, and, then uh, the- yeah. There is, I mean, of course, famously at the in the end of the '90s is 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 the era of Khan Noonan Singh and Spacey. You know, and Nick Meyer wrote a miniseries, uh, which apparently, from all uh, from everything we've heard, is 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 pretty damn good. Although at this point, it seems like it's uh, uh, you know never going to happen. I mean, it's it's consigned to the dustbin of history, which is a shame because uh, it, you know Nick Meyer sort of revisiting that era sounded you know quite promising although yeah. i think that was going to be seti alpha 5 it wasn't really going to be about right. the eugenics wars right well yeah. wouldn't it be great if like you did a show like that you went back to see what world war 3 was like and you discovered like all third sequels it's sort of like a a boring and not very imaginative retread of like things people think they liked well, from world war 1 and world war 2 the thing is uh uh novelist greg cox did a series of uh, i think 3 novels talking about the rise of Khan and his final uh, disposition to the uh, uh, Botany Bay. Um, and it's fascinating because he does, he does use Gary Seven in this and he uh, envelops all sorts of the characters that we're familiar with. But uh, his method is to take real happenings in history, you know, our history, 
and connect them with this secret war that was going on. And it's really quite clever how he does it. Hmm. With uh, the scrolls? So, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's, I, I highly recommend it if, uh, if you're in the mood. Well, you know, we had on the show a while ago, you may remember Eric Jengerson, and he mm-hmm. talked about how Star Trek The Beginning, his feature film script uh, of a projected trilogy, would have led into the Romulan War, which is also something, Michael, you guys were talking about, had there been a fifth season on um, Enterprise uh, dealing with the Romulan War. Is that a potential fodder for a future Star Trek series, you think? It possible. Um, I, I think that was definitely a direction Manny wanted to go. Uh, I don't know if, you know, in a, in a universe where uh, Enterprise got seven seasons, because um, we had just, we, you know, we'd come out of season three. We only, we only got four seasons ultimately, but season three was a season long uh, war, the Zindi War. So I don't think we wanted to jump, you know, right away into another conflict. Uh, and we did we did some uh, what I thought were you know a lot of fun uh, Romulan uh, episodes in in season four, but we had to keep them in the background in order to you know again this is the canonical problem you you yeah. run into on these shows that nobody in Kirk's time and our show was set you know 100 years before uh, Kirk knew what a Romulan looked like, right. and um, yet at the same time there was a Romulan war that had happened around that time frame. And so I was, very, you know, I, it's funny because we kind of rode into that. Like there's a moment where you think you're, you know, we've, we've boarded a Romulan ship. Our heroes boarded a Romulan ship and uh, it was Trip and Reed. We're about to burst onto the bridge and, and we've been cutting away to this bridge with all these Romulans on it. And then at the end, you find out the bridge they break onto is a whole other ship that's being holographically controlled by these Romulans who are back on Romulus. And they're not really there. So there, there are all sorts of ways to, to, to play with that. And I always loved the idea. I wanted to do, uh, if we got to do more Romulan war stories, have have basically, and this is kind of a little Section 31 as, as well, I think, have Archer and his crew basically find out about the link between Vulcans and Romulans. But in order to you know keep this nascent federation from falling right. apart, they got they got to hide it, it because it, it would just be, it, it might safe. destroy Vulcan society right. um, if if this came out. So I always I always like that approach. But yeah, I, I think. Uh, in this day and age, I think it makes a lot more sense to do an eight or ten, you know, episode Romulan War, trying to sustain that over 22, 24, 26, which we were doing back in the day would have been kind of nuts. Right. Yeah. And, and the, you know, look, the problem we talked to, we alluded to. And first of all, I have to say that I thought that 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 three parter with the drone ship was a very clever way to get around that. And um, even though Brian Thompson's a little over the top. Uh, it's 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 a really clever episode. I like it quite a bit. Um, yeah. That that that, uh, epi- that enterprise and this particularly, you know, sort of hiding the ball on the fact that they're not on the ship, but they're back on Romulus and they're controlling this drone. Um, spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen it, but you've had twenty years to watch it, so I don't feel guilty. Right. Um, well, it's funny because I, I wrote uh, we did we did a three parter and I wrote the middle one and I did but I did some rewriting on I think the the last episode which. I think it was called United that uh, the Reeve Stevens wrote and the episode came in short. And so I had to write and it, I, I, I had to add a scene and, it, and I was kind of scratching, you know, uh, you know, my, my brain trying to figure out, you know, what I was going to write here. But I came up with a scene that's, that ended up in the episode that actually is pretty good. And it's about archers kind of trying to figure out who these Romulans are because they know the name of the, of the species. They don't know much else about them. And what I thought, what it, what it, 
basically to Paul asked a question I want to ask, like, what are the, what are these Romulans? What is their beef with us humans? We're just like brand new on the scene, all these other races, the Vulcans, the Andorians, whatever. They've been out here arguing and fighting for, for, you know, hundreds of years. And, and what I came up with was the idea that humans, the reason they were afraid of the humans is because we kind of got along with everybody because we were new. Nobody had like generations of, uh, you know, hatred. Hostility, yeah. Uh, toward, towards humanity. So we were kind of the glue that was bringing everybody together and the Romulans realized this. And so that's why they started targeting humanity, mm-hmm. which was just kind of a fun little thing that, you know, tied into all the other series as well. Um, but yeah, there's just, again, the Star Trek universe is so big now, even if you come up with a show that is not, doesn't have time travel as part of its concept, um, you've got to really figure out where you're planting your flag. Where, where in that era are you going to exist? And, you know, we've had a couple series now. I mean, almost all the series now, to one degree or another, are prequels. And, um, you know, I don't know the thinking behind the producers of Discovery when they decided to move the setting of their show to the far future. Were they, did they find that they were hamstrung by the, you know, the setting of the show? Maybe. I, I don't know. Oh. Um Something that kind of jumps out at me about that that I've been I've been thinking about since the idea for you know this 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 episode of the podcast was brought up. If you think about what Roddenberry did with Star Trek: The Next Generation, I don't think that man sat down and thought to himself, "Shit, I, I wonder what happened." You know, with the relations between like the 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 Klingons and the Romulans and the all that other crap like kind of moving forward he just said screw it man it's x number of years ahead of time it's the starship enterprise and we're going to boldly go where no man has gone before you know and we're going to do that for however many episodes a, a season we're going to do that and it seems like well gee that's that's quaint to kind of do it that way but in a way doing it that way saves you from a lot of the problems that we're grappling with now as we're talking about all of this. Because if you think about it, all the spinoffs that we're talking about, at least the ones we're talking about so far, are what are clever ways to retread things that we've seen before? Like, rather than how do you tell Star Trek stories that feel like Star Trek? Even Discovery going 300 years into the 1,000 years, I don't know how many years it is, like, who cares, like, into the future, like it's essentially they're going into the future to retread the past. And, and they're so caught up, you know, with all of those things that like, that they're not really telling a new story, whether it's a, a prequel, like, or a sequel, who cares? Star Trek, it, it, look, Deep Space Nine proved it doesn't have to be about a ship, but it does have to be about a crew with problems. And I think there's some, there would be something kind of amazing about saying, yeah, we're going to do a Star Trek show that's set ahead of, you know, it's, it's, it's in, it's in the future of the future. And that's cool because all of this Star Trek crap has kind of vaguely happened in our rearview mirror, but we're not going to worry about it a hell of a lot other than to honor it and respect it as the stuff that has come before and to try not to deny it, but we're going to go out and we're going to explore planets and we're going to tell great science fiction stories with interesting characters who have these great relationships and really interesting conflicts and you know fuck the Cardassians and like and screw the guardian of forever and all of that stuff i mean it's it, it didn't hurt the next generation and certainly the next generation didn't become popular because suddenly it embraced a lot of things from the original series it became popular because it got good 
because it told its own stories. The Best of Both Worlds isn't a retread of, of something from the original series. The Best of Both Worlds was the full emergence of something that was great that emerged on Star Trek The Next Generation. It, it's not a reimagining. It's just, it's a new Star Trek show. I mean, I think deep down for me, that's the spinoff I want, man. Like, I, I, don't, I, I don't know that I would want to have to worry about like all of the, you know, intended crap spinning around that has like been put like into the ether by like over 200 hours of Star Trek. That's so you're why, saying, why are we bound to it? So we so should you're saying concentrate you... on the movies? <laughs> <laughs> Rant mode off. You, you don't want a Mr. Atos show then? No, I don't. <laughs> show. It's a time traveling librarian. Wait, yeah. let me write that down. As, as, the, <laughs> as the only non-writer in the room, I'd like to give my pitch. Okay. Well, we'd love to hear it. Yes. <laughs> Go for it. Mine is 100% retread. And here's how. Okay. <laughs> it's an hour-long, serious, adult, animated show that takes the original 79 Star Trek episodes and places them in the mirror universe. That's brilliant. How would the mirror crew deal with these same situations that we find the Enterprise in, in the original series? Loudly. Maybe. A lot of, a lot of screaming. Maybe, but <laughs> if you treat the mirror universe like Romans, you know, like the efficient... Uh, you know, city-state of Rome. And, you know, the Romans weren't crazy, insane killers. They were just a huge force of control. So, you know, it, you, you don't go as crazy as, you know, as uh, Captain Kirk in the Mirror Universe does. That doesn't make sense for a, an extended show. But you, ha you have them be clever Cunning and smart, smart and so, clever are this kind of the same thing. And you're and saying cunning. you're saying they would steal Kirk's brain then? <laughs> yes. Or I want to see the the mirror Captain Jellico, who's like group hug, group hug. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 where there are no songs in the Way to Eden. Right. That's right. But the Way to Eden is a great episode. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. But you know, in this universe, the Vulcans are are killers they are they are crazed efficient killers and they rule their planet with an iron fist well michael i want to ask you what you think of this idea because of course you famously wrote uh in yeah. merit darkly which very casually um did a mirror universe story as a separate show it right. wasn't like our characters suddenly found themselves in the mirror universe you just said right. what if this show was set in the mirror universe instead of the normal universe and did two great episodes of Enterprise. So wh what do you think of Darren's Fakakta uh, crazy idea here? <laughs> How dare you? Well, I, honestly, I, I have to say, I, I think Darren is uh, kind of ripping me off, okay. quite frankly. <laughs> no. uh, well, you know, I mean, cause what Manny had talked about, because uh, I, I, I wrote those two episodes with him, he, he, you know, had the show continued, he wanted to sort of do a series within a series where like every, you know, for out of 22, we might, you know, go back to the mirror universe to see what the mirror universe crew was up to right. every four, you know, four or five episodes or, or, or so, uh, which could have been, you know, a, a lot of fun. So it's funny. I thought you were going to pitch Darren, take the original series and then just animate those, 
those series do some kind mm. of you know yeah no that's just silly <laughs> <laughs> any excuse to watch the old shows I, again i would you know I would. what i like mike what you said at eight o'clock you have the regular episode at nine o'clock you have the mirror version of that episode <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's like you have a new show it's and then point counterpoint <laughs> 10 o'clock you have the cg animated version where you know everything everybody looks kind of wacky um to, to go back to something that ashley said though i think you know i, I think he really kind of hit the nail on the head i mean something the original and next gen uh did so well uh you know they 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 explored they were explorers and i think you know the issue now with um the thing with tv everyone is so enamored of you know season-long arcs and there's something almost I think people look back at the, you know, the 42 minute, uh, or in the case, the original series, 51 minute long uh, episode with a beginning, middle and end is being kind of quaint and old timey storytelling, which, okay, it can be. But I think when, you, when you're doing a Star Trek series and you are only doing serialized storytelling, your entire season, whether it's eight or 10 or 13 episodes or or however long it is, ends up being about this major threat to the Federation or the Earth. And it's harder to do those stories of exploration and just going to a planet, I think, uh, in those and, and, and finding something new and curious and interesting and, and having kind of a smaller uh, uh, adventure. And if you look back at the original show, by and large, I mean, how many times has the Federation during the original series even threatened? I mean, the biggest threat I can think of is like, well, you know, there was no man travel sterilized. Ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or uh, it's heading you know, directly through this solar system on its way to the most densely populated part of our galaxy. Right, you right. Know, the Rigel like, colonies or something. Yeah. Which, you know, who who cares? Um, <laughs> the Rigel colonists care a lot. Yeah, but uh, there's a spinoff. Uh, <laughs> Star Trek Rigel. The wives, the wives of Rigel. Um, nice. Miners' wives. Real housewives of Risa. What? Yeah. <laughs> now there um, you go. <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. So, I mean, I don't know. I would love to see Star Trek get back to a more episodic uh, type of storytelling. So you could do the kind of stories, I think, that uh, Ashley is uh, yearning for, as, as am I. Uh, I mean, isn't and, that and, really what we're all, I think, coming around to? I mean, we can talk about this all we want. And there's some cool stuff. But that's really, look, Star Trek, with the notable exception of Deep Space Nine, always works better as a standalone story with serialized character arcs. Like, it, 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 you know, serializing character arcs is the way to, you know, obviously we ha it's the 21st century. Uh, we're in the, the platinum age of television. You can't just go back to a strict anthology type format where it's the adventure of the week and Edith Keeler dies in the next week. You know, you're, you're, you're running down the hallways and, you, you know, you're not feeling that pain. But I think that, you know, if you can have the, 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 the uh, adventure of the week, the mission of the week, and then but have the character stories continue that it seems to be the Star Trek that people are so desperate uh, uh, to enjoy again. And yet there's this thought, you know, oh, if you're going to be uh, the platinum platinum television, if you're going to be Game of Thrones, that you have to have this. Everything has to be a continuing story that builds to something at the end of the season and then and, not build know, to anything. Well, right. And 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 so. You know, that I think is, 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 you know, you know, something that clearly has stood Star Trek in good stead. But, you know, people, uh, you know, I don't think value that kind of storytelling. And yet it's something that works very well foreign, internationally, 
the, a lot of these foreign channels are hungering for that kind of standalone stuff where you don't have to watch every episode. If you miss right. something, it, it's, it's fine. It's, it's evergreen. Because of the, the abundance of, of, of the domination of streaming, they want stuff that like hooks you to come back the next week. It's the old cliffhanger, uh, you know, like the, where you come back to the movies on Saturday uh, because of the, the cliffhanger. Now, I wasn't yeah. uh, alive to, to I can't attest to that from personal knowledge because I wasn't around during the age of the Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon serials. Um, but, you know, maybe Gene Roddenberry had it right in a sense, because maybe Harry Mudd would have been an interesting show, a, a space pirate show that would be very different from uh, the Federation that we know and love, because we also say there's Roddenberry's box that you're somewhat hamstrung potentially uh, by the way we expect Federation officers to behave. And of course, Harry Mudd being a scoundrel and a rogue, uh, um, you know, could be very, you know, very fun, you know, as sort of a futuristic space pirate who's out of time and out of place and sort of like Jack Sparrow. Well, I think a lot of that, that box is kind of imposed by, by, fandom talking about things in a world where Gene Roddenberry spent a lot of time telling them what to think about shit. Um, that in a lot of ways, those characters don't resemble, like especially in the original series, um, don't resemble what's, what's being described when they talk about the, you know, that, that box, uh, that those characters were a lot more flawed than we give them credit for the the conflicts they had, you know, were were real. They went yeah. at each other, man. Like remember, Roddenberry came up with this box after the original series. Yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely. It became like a sort of a, a marketing campaign. A lot yeah. of people drank that Kool Aid, and it's silly. But I'll also say that one of the opportunities of streaming, if you embrace it, right, in a world where you've got six to eight episodes a season, why not? You know, find it. We're, we're exploring these worlds. There's things that like. You know, uh, Errand of Mercy, you don't think you could fill out like six to eight episodes with the premise of Errand of Mercy, where you have a crew that has that problem and we're not, you know, beholden to dealing with shit that just doesn't enter into the picture, right? Like we don't have to deal with that, but there there, there are stakes for the larger world because it's the War of the Klingons, but, but it's all brought down like to a level where we can we can embrace it. We can get our arms around it mm-hmm. because what this reminds me of is when, you know, Zach and I were working on, um, on, on what eventually became Star Trek beyond. And one of the things that we got that came from the studio as well, they, they really like it. If there's something about it that threatens the earth, like, well, fuck the earth, honestly, like, you know, it's, it, it doesn't have to be about that all the time. Like we've hypnotized ourselves into thinking that big stakes are about like, it's the timeline. It's, it's, you know, it's the, the it's the earth itself, you know, when reality is, it, yes, those things are important and they can be cool and they're awesome, but only when our give a shit factor is high for the characters who are involved, when it's in the abstract, we don't care. Yeah. Right. And it's just why not tell exploration stories where we can really explore. Right. Well, I think even look, uh, you know, it's not uh, this show's uh, we don't generally talk about the the modern Star Trek shows on the show. We leave that to Disco Nights. Um, but I think whether you, you like Picard or don't like Picard, it seems the consensus from most people seems to be 
most people, uh, I think, uh, high uh, hold Nepenthe, which is the Riker Troy episode in the most high regard of any of those episodes. And that probably in a way is the most standalone episode that is really dealing with sort of a character you know, does more of a dive into character and, and it's the most like an episode of the next generation. Mm -hmm. And I think it's no accident that that's maybe the episode that people responded to the right. most strongly in a positive way, um, which is just saying that, you know, people are hungering for this kind of storytelling again in Star Trek, which is the sort of more standalone stories with, you know, deep and rich characters that we care about. And it's what you said, you know, no, the earth is just a piece of rock in space. If you don't put characters you care about on the planet, um, you know, and it's ultimately it's, 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 you know, it's the characters. I mean, you know, you look at Star Trek Wrath of Khan, which is, you know, universally lauded as perhaps the greatest of Star Trek movies, unless you listen to the Trexperts where we say Star Trek motion picture, but, um, but, you know, earth is never in jeopardy in Star Trek Wrath of Khan, you know, um, it, it, it's Kirk that's in jeopardy because yeah. you're invested in his story. You're not invested in, in you know, and when he says, uh, you know, we don't even know once Khan, once Khan kills yeah. Kirk, you know, this is an interesting, you know, he, he so kills Kirk. What, what's he going to do then? Yeah. You know? He's going to go to <laughs> Disneyland. You know, seriously. I mean, his, you know, he, he's, his heart is full of hate. He spits his last breath. I mean, but it's all about killing Kirk. Once that's done, you know, it's not like he's like, and then we're going to conquer the universe. You know, it's like. But that would have been a note, man. That would have been a note. I, I think that movie benefited in so many, and this is a whole other conversation, but in the context of what you're saying, like, I, I think if anybody had had time to give Nick Meyer that note, they probably they would have given him that. Well, it's not time. They, they were apathetic. They didn't care. Yeah. They didn't care. The, you know, as Ira Bear always used, the eye of Sauron was not on Nick Meyer, you know, <laughs> and he was able to do, you know, he used to say that about Deep Space Nine. He said they were so focused on Voyager that the eye of Sauron was looking elsewhere, you know, so they could do all this stuff on Deep Space Nine that, you know, they, they probably couldn't have gotten away with, uh, you know, had the eye of Sauron been looking at them. And uh, it was the same thing with Khan. Nobody cared. It was so cheap, you know. Uh, and it was just like, okay, we'll, we'll squeeze out a few bucks. Hopefully, because people want to see that last piece of shit. And I'm, I'm speaking from their perspective, clearly, not <laughs> not from my own feeling. It's about Star Trek's motion picture, and um, and 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 so it's it's all it's all very interesting. But there's a lack of knowledge about these shows. There's a lot of uh, knowledge about the history of these shows. I mean, it's very interesting. You know, I don't know if many people realize that. Brian Fuller's initial conception for Discovery was that it would be a one season show or, or at most two seasons. And it, it, his intention was to do an anthology show. And the next year was going to be something else. I know what it is. I'm not going to say what it was, but, um, but, but, you know, he never intended that to be like a seven year, you, you know, Star Trek series. And, you know, a lot of that has to deal with, again, getting back to the productions and logistics of producing these shows. These are such expensive shows that once you build the sets, you, you want to amortize those costs over multiple seasons. So you don't really have the luxury of sort of doing like a one year show and then abandoning that and completely, you know, having to start over from scratch again. For sure. Getting back to what you were saying, Mark, about, you know, characters and, you know, certainly seeing, uh, you know, Riker and Troy again on Picard was, uh, was really great. Something that, that, I mean, you and Ashley both have probably experienced this as well, working in you know broadcast television. You come, 
very often on Enterprise or, or Voyager, an episode would come in short, you know, sometimes 10 minutes short. And now you've got, you know, your entire, your, your, the sets you built for the episode are struck. And so you've got your standing sets. You need to create 10 minutes worth of material with your standing sets and your regular characters go. And the scenes need to tie into the episode that you've already written and shot. And bizarrely, I mean, when you, when you find out that your episode came in short like that, my first reaction was, oh God, you know, what am I going to do? What are we going to do here? This is terrible. But you end up basically writing pure character scenes between your, 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 uh, your regular uh, cast. And sometimes those end up being like the best episodes in the show. I, I, keep, I barely remember the episode. It was before I was working on Voyager, but there was, there was, one, there was one where Voyager uh, like went underwater. They visited a water planet. And uh, it was a, uh, a, uh, a Tom Paris show. And that show episode came in like, I think it was over 10 minutes short. And so the writer, uh, Ken Biller, my former partner, had to write this sort of wraparound thing. So it opens with uh, Tom Paris being thrown in the brig for disobeying Janeway's orders. And he, he said, quite honestly, like that, that whole wraparound sequence ended up being the best part of the episode. And I feel like in this new era where episodes can be 29 minutes or an hour and 15, that, you know, we might be missing out on, on, on those moments that we writers, as much as we might not have wanted to have to do it, we're forced to write and examine those characters. Well, yeah, uh, re restrictions require creativity. Yeah, but Mike, I, I, I'm, like, I'm so glad you said that because you, you mentioned earlier the scene in the Romulan episode you, you wrote, you know, why the Romulans are out to get humans and you said you know we you had to write it because the episode was short and that's actually a great scene and articulates like a sort of sort of really fundamental you know issue for the, for the show i i and i wanted to come back to the subject so i'm glad you brought it up because i just finished recently reading um fire can't kill a dragon which is the oral history of game of thrones and it's a very good book written by james hibbard talking about the history of that show and um after it talks about you know the the abandoned pilot but it talks about the first season. The first season, they didn't have a lot of money. And in fact, uh, they were coming in short consistently. And some of the scenes that we most remember that are the best scenes in the show were scenes that were written at the end of the season uh, where they had to go back and do two-handers to you know, basically get the show to time because it was coming in at a half hour. And they so all these scenes like where it would be like Cersei and one person or, um, you know, Peter Dinklage would do this long monologue talking to Varys. You know, this was all stuff that was being added, you know, later on because the episodes were short and that defined that show. And if you, you know, and, and you go back and you look at it in retrospect, and you realize, you know, the show is not a, a big or slick looking show. And there's a lot of clunky exposition that first season. And it's the richness of that tapestry are in these scenes that were filmed sort of after the fact. And, you know, we've, we've all been there. We had gone and go back and shoot stuff because it's, it's too long. I mean, my biggest problem, my first season, we were shooting the scripts were too long. I, you know, I had to cut a ton of delete, you know, scenes, but you know, you're not shooting for deleted scenes on your DVD, you know? And so, um, you know, but then you risk, you know, when you start writing stuff much tighter, you know, are they going to be short, but it can be a gift. Yeah. I, uh, whenever a new episode of Mandalorian comes on and I check the time and I'm like, Oh, it's a 32 minute episode. I'm a little like, let down. And I, and I wish, mm -hmm. I, you know, I wish John Favreau had to hit that 41 or 42 minute mark. And just to give us more show. I mean, even if it's 10 minutes of uh, Mando talking to frog lady, I want to know what those scenes are. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> 
my my son came running in uh, when they announced the running time on this the premiere on on the uh, on the Marshall. He goes, "It's almost an hour. It's like two episodes. This is so exciting." Is <laughs> the first thing he would look is like the run. He would look at the running time, and you know, it's like, "Oh, it's only like you know thirty two minutes." He'd be so disappointed because he just craved every second of watching that show. Get it? I understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, this, this is interesting. This was fun. This is, yeah, I, I'm. I, I'm still down with this Gary Seven show. I, 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 I really, I love that. I love that. I, but I would love. I love the Garrick thing too. I mean, how about Garrick know. Seven? Garrick seven. <laughs> <laughs> they team up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, and and you know, there's so many other things. We, you know, obviously, I'd be interested to see what the. Uh, or uh, some of our listeners have to say, I'm sure inevitably somebody's going to say, a Kling- an old Klingon show. God, talk about rubber rubber masks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to uh, see a, a two quick pitches. A Wolf 359 miniseries. Based, you know, mm, uh, Pearl nice. Harbor. Yeah. Six or eight episodes. Yeah, cool. And uh, Young Picard on the Stargazer. That could be kind of cool. Uh-huh. Tom Hardy. Oh, he's too old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, the that that see that would be sort of that would be sort of fun to see uh, young Picard on on the Stargazer. Um, but next uh, on Picard with hair, I, I you know. But I think it's funny as much as we we talk about all these potential shows. I I, I think the consensus seems to be boldly go. Let's let new yeah. fresh inventive. The same way Gene Roddenberry started with the blanks slate slate of paper. You know, he was inspired by the shows that he watched and worked on before. Have Gun, Will Travel, Wagon Train. You know, it, it, he wanted to do a science fiction show unlike any that ever ever been produced before. He wasn't saying, you know, what can I, you know, and, uh, you know, next, and look, Next Generation, you know, he tried, he tried to, uh, for a long time, he fought to, you know, to, to pay homage or to include too much from the original Star Trek. Now, there are various reasons for that. Some say it's because he didn't want to pay his wife, uh, ex-wife uh, royalties because she was entitled to royalties on Star Trek. And that's why he didn't want to cling on on the bridge. You know, who knows? I mean, only Gene knows. And uh, he's not. But, telling. And, and he's not. Telling. But but um, but, you know, the Star Trek works when when it boldly goes, which is is. Uh, a mantra that anyone who works on these new series is, you know, should should keep in mind as they embark on uh, broadening this universe, this rich universe, which is likely to go on for quite some time. Um, at at uh, you know, given the IP fever that has gripped our business, you know, all of us will tell you, you know, it's harder and harder to sell anything original or new or fresh because uh, you're competing with so many uh, outlets now that even with a very big marketing budget, it's nearly impossible to compete. So you need something that has built in brand awareness, whether it's star Wars or star Trek, or even something like the queen's gambit, which was a, a popular book before it was turned into a, a, a phenomenon, which may be the best star Trek I've seen in a long time. Queen's gambit. Uh, it just goes. If to only show they were much... playing three dimensional chess. Then, it, then... <laughs> if only, um, but, uh, but Mike, it was great having you on the show. And then this, this was, this turned out a lot better than I expected it to. So, um, <laughs> and, and Ashley, good to have you back. 
Uh, no, Ashley, I mean, just because you. <laughs> <laughs> Mark's like, I read your stuff. I thought this was going to be terrible. Fine, have it <laughs> I still think the shore leave as Fantasy Island could really work. Might as <laughs> right? well. Starring the rabbit? <laughs> no, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just very yeah. disappointed because Sony is rebooting Fantasy Island with uh, actually two very talented writers I like quite a bit, but it always been my dream to reboot Fantasy Island. So, um, Well, in two years, you can again. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. Exactly. Exactly. I, I feel it's never lived up to its potential. So I'm going to work on hopefully getting the love boat instead. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, but this is great. Mike, we hope you'll, we, you know, we'll have you back on the show again. Um, obviously, uh, I, I think the last time we had you was when we did our, um, our virus episodes, our best virus episodes. And I, oh, I got to tell you, yeah. I would have never thought that we'd still be talking over Zoom. What is it, eight months since we did that that episode? It's like here we are, and let's be glad we can do this. That's true. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. Amen to that, brother. Yay, brother. <laughs> Yay, brother. <laughs> it's it's good to see all you guys, even if it is uh, you know virtual. So, but yeah. uh, I'm I'm glad you're still doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it beats cleaning the garage, which I was doing all day. So, um, <laughs> and I didn't even find anything that cool yet. <laughs> I I'm trying you know, I, when, when I'm cleaning the garage, I always come across great things for the show, like memos and stuff. And I, I did come across some old fantastic films, but I, I, now that we've done our, our, our tribute to Starlog, I don't really think there'll be a tribute to fantastic films anytime in our future. That's a shame. You never know. <laughs> Sometimes we were desperate for material. But anyway, I want to thank uh, Michael Sussman and, of course, Ashley Miller. And, Ashley, you know, we assume that people know who you are, so I didn't really give you your props at the beginning of the episode. Of course, you know, Ashley's the writer of Thor and X-Men First Class and for television such shows as Fringe and Lore and Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles. And he will very imminently be announcing his new show, um, which he has not been able to talk about for quite a while, but an announcement I'm told is forthcoming, which is yes, very on exciting. February 12th, I can finally oh. talk about this show. Please make a note of it. And uh, so we're all very excited about that. And um, uh, we want to thank uh, Bill Ritter, of course, for making it sound so good, even over Zoom. And our producer, Natalie Miscallion, of course, our production associate, uh, um, uh, Zach Raggetts, our production coordinator, uh, Peter Holmstrom, uh, and uh, uh, and and uh, everyone, just everyone. We thank, we're so grateful everyone. for the beginning of the year. Thank you, Tiny Tim. Thank you, everyone. And, you know, if you're, if you, you know, when the pandemic's over, you're at a bar and you see Darren there, you should approach him and let him know how much you like the show. But careful. Uh, and buy him a drink. Buy him and drink. buy him, buy him a drink. Tranya. <laughs> I hope you relish it as much as I. As much as I. I, I told this story of the show before. I, I, I did a movie, a very abysmal movie with uh, a Clint Howard, and we were at craft services together. And I said, would you like some Tranya? And he looked at me and he's just like, oh, like I've never heard that one before. And we, I felt uh, so stupid. I felt as the words were coming out of my mouth, I was just like, <laughs> and then like, he you know, punched you in the face. No, he didn't punch me in the face. Oh, you know, that's a shame. That would have been a better story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Tranya jokes. Yeah, that, that'll go over well. But Clint, Clint was a lovely guy. You're trying so, uh, my patience. Okay, so anyway, thank you for joining us for Inglorious Trexperts, and we look forward to you joining us for an all-new episode next Friday at 10. Until then, keep on trekking, Ingloriously, of course. Engage. Engage.
This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.